Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. A podcast that can be all yours for just $19.99 a month. Or free. It is here for free now and in perpetuity. <laughs> what antiques are we talking about this week? Well, Ken, I'm feeling holly, jolly, and, and oh golly, I'm so excited for Christmas this year. You can hear it in my voice. It's amazing that after 10 years of friendship, you still haven't remembered that I hate Christmas, but please go on. No, I super, I, I super did. I totally remember. You just chose to ignore it for the subject of this podcast. Well, it's just there's other, there's other people out there, man. Maybe they want to hear about this subject. Maybe they would like to host this podcast. So how do you feel about Nutcrackers? Okay, bad. They sure are there, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I saw Nutcracker and I was like, the fuck with these little guys? So I'm here to explain what the fuck with these little guys. They are also known as Nutcracker dolls, which makes sense because the Christmas ones in particular are more doll than Nutcracker. And a Nutcracker is for cracking nuts. (laughs) You'll never guess. Carved to resemble the form of traditionally a toy soldier or something adjacent. They range in height from a few inches to over a foot to even more if you're a weirdo, and are best known perhaps for the extremely frightening large teeth that are painted onto the lever section that is used to crush the nut. The teeth are in their mouth, don't get it twisted. While the exact creation of them is a little bit uncertain, there was mention in Sonneberg in the Thuringian Forest of Germany in 1735 of nut biters. That operated according to the principles of leverage. Again, they could have just been describing some guys who live together in the woods in accordance with whatever rules they found comfortable amongst themselves. Uh, the nutbiters were described as sturdy, energetic forms with large heads, which doesn't actually do anything to disprove Ken's theory that these might have just been guys. I'm just saying. Specifically, the leverage is a moving arm on the back of the head that allows the lower jaw to push the nut up against the upper jaw. When the Brothers Grimm put together their Dictionary of High German in 1830, the term Nussnacker, which you'll never guess means nutcracker in German, was defined as often in form of a misshaped little man whose mouth the nut is cracked open in. Now, one guess as to how nutcracker soldier men came about is the 17th century German area of Erzgebirge, or the Ore Mountains as I will be referring to them from now on, as the name might suggest, was a plentiful mining operation for silver. However, around the 17th century, the silver deposits ran out, leaving the miners needing to find a new method of survival, to which many turned to woodworking. As Germany, it do have tree. So it do. In addition to symbolizing good luck and the ability to frighten away evil spirits, to which no one knows how to attribute this assumption, there is also the use of the nutcracker to uh, mock authority. To crack authority's nuts, as it were? To crack authority's nuts. The reason that they look like little soldiers is because they are meant to sort of suggest that the upper class or oppressive body of government was being made to do their menial task with them. So frequently, uh, the image of the Nutcracker King is very popular, and there are actually some old versions of forest wardens being immortalized as Nutcrackers. It gives you an opportunity to put your nuts in authority's mouth? Exactly right. Incredible. Figures like kings and forest wardens and soldiers would often punish peasants, the underclass, for doing things like hunting in the wrong forest, foraging for food in the wrong forest, the wrong forest was everywhere which actually is suggested to also be the reason why they have horrible bug eyes and big nasty teeth, is it's just another method of making fun. 
a lot of this actually comes from the interpretation of the creation of Napoleon nutcrackers. Fantastic. Now, their association with Christmas probably comes from the fact that, in addition to surviving off of woodworking, making little critters from wood was a great gift around Christmas, which we all know the Germans love. Furthermore, the Nutcracker would be absolutely solidified in Christmas history by the popularization of Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker in 1892. This prominently features a toy soldier Nutcracker, and the ballet takes place on Christmas Eve. And if there's one thing that people really feel the need to insist, it's that if something takes place on Christmas, it is by default a Christmas story. See Die Hard. See Die Hard. <laughs> Less popularly, see The Mystery of Edwin Drood and or Return to Cranford. Return to Cranford uh, being our personal Christmas tradition gets us in the mood to not celebrate Christmas because Ken and most of our other friends don't enjoy the season. This is what happens when you get a gaggle of goths together. I just like a goth Christmas. I like a skeleton and reindeer, you know? We have Halloween on Christmas. Oh man, we can be like Jack and Sally. If we want. Now, Nutcrackers would really take off when they got to the fucking Americans <laughs> who are to blame for everything that Christmas has become. While Christmas may have started in the warm, adorable cradle of the German hinterlands, America turned it into the beast it is today, largely because of American soldiers leaving Europe after World War II, wanting to show off something from Germany, which is a crazy thing to want after you've been there for World War II. I feel like you do have to throw some blame on England for putting some Germans on the throne. I do. In the 19th century and earlier. I think that's totally fair. Wilhelm Fuchtner is considered the father of the wooden nutcracker, not as the inventor, since no one knows exactly who did that, but by using a mechanical lathe operated by a water mill, he began the very first mass producing of the iconic soldier nutcracker in 1872. Fun fact, the sixth generation of Fuchtners are still in the Ore Mountain region and still create artisanal German wooden nutcrackers. It's good to have a hobby. I think it might be a business at that stage, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I think when your children inherit it, it's a business. Children can inherit hobbies. Just ask anyone who's had to take over a deceased relative's quilting room. What a grim tableau you've painted here in Christmas Town. You brought me on your Christmas episode. You knew what would happen. <laughs> Sorry. Next year, I will find the grimmest, gothest topic. You invited Grim Fuckerson to your Christmas party, and then were surprised when he became a grim fuck. <laughs> We just, we'd already done the Christmas spider. I don't know what else to do. We could be normal for 31 days. No, I can't because I had to go to Target and I looked at a nutcracker and I was like, what the fuck with these little ugly guys? And now that has to be everyone's problem. <laughs> <laughs> now, following in Fuchner's steps is Christian Steinbach who started his factory pretty soon after World War II and reigned as the next king of nutcrackers until 2007. Now, while Fuchner and other Ore Mountain nutcracker makers really focused a lot on military and royalty-type figures, Steinbach was best known for I saw the word flamboyant used five times, so make of that what you will, characters. Not really much evidenced against my a bunch of guys in the woods just cracking their nuts together theory. No! <laughs> Uh, yeah, he made figures such as Sir Galahad, a singular man to represent the 12 days of Christmas, the Thief of Baghdad. I don't know what that is. It sounds racist. But what made Steinbeck a real standout other than his flamboyant designs 
would be the fact that he was constantly going to the U.S. and signing nutcrackers for people. Did they ask him to do this, or he just kind of sneak in like a thief in the night, sign their nutcrackers, and spirit himself out the window with a wink and a nod? No, these were like conventions. Interesting. He would set up shop, sell nutcrackers, and people would buy nutcrackers and have him sign them there or bring their own like any other signing tour. You know, normal shit. And he did this until his death in 2007. Well, the only rival for the hearts and wallets of the American collector is Christian Ulbricht. The only really notable thing about him is that he made them look friendly. Steinbach kind of held to the evil spirit warding stern look of the Nutcracker, and Ulbricht thought maybe these shouldn't frighten children. (laughs) Spoil sport. Now, there is a surprise contender to the Nutcracker legacy. The Henri Company of Italy. This was a collective of woodcarvers in the Groden Valley region of Italy, and they carved all kinds of things out of wood. And this happened to include Nutcracker men. So, one of the most important takeaways for if you love a nutcracker and you are like, unlike Ken, you think Christmas is a cool time to enjoy things. (laughs) Just in general. (laughs) Enjoy some concepts this holiday season. (laughs) Enjoy my concepts. Germany is really the deciding factor here. You want German fucking nutcrackers. It sounds like I'm trying to brainwash you. It really does, yeah. It's not working, I'm sorry. Can you want German nutcrackers? I mean, I say that, but now I'm thinking of the, like, giant Bavarian nutcrackers they built in Yankee Candle in scenic Deerfield, Massachusetts. Yes, absolutely. Those are fun, not because they're Christmas, but because a man went to Bavaria to learn how to make candles, and what he came away with was, I have to recreate a two-scale Bavarian castle in my candle warehouse and then he did and everyone just let him get away with it ken i have to ask you a very important question would you not do the same i mean i would but like i wouldn't expect other people not to be confused that's fair and the thing is i don't know that he expects that i think he knows why everyone's confused (laughs) but goddamn it the bavarian castle is for him I also like the implication that going to Bavaria just kind of makes you enjoy Christmas, like seemingly against your will. I think being a capitalist makes you enjoy Christmas, and I think that that's where most of Yankee Candle's sales come from, particularly at their flagship store. By the way, if you're in the area, the Yankee Candle flagship store is a delight, especially for people who enjoy Christmas. And if you just enjoy scale models of Bavarian hunting lodges built inexplicably inside of candle warehouses, you'll have a great time. There's a moat there is a moat there's water in it there's a drawbridge (laughs) you go through the bavarian forest that they've built again in a candle warehouse that leads you up to the hunting lodge which is a castle with a drawbridge a portcullis and a moat and inside of there is a toy store where santa just is they just hire a guy to be santa year round as i understand it and he just sits in this little pod in the center of the toy store and pretends to make toys, possibly actually makes toys. I think they give him, like, some wooden props to paint. They did, however, get rid of the animatronic fisherman and pelican that used to do, like, a comedy routine in the food court, which I think was a mistake. Which is a damn shame. They also have the world's largest candle. That's true, they do have that. I had to physically prevent Dee from biting it. That's true, he did have to do that. I see a, a cylinder of wax and I just need to go to town on it. <laughs> Unrelated to their Christmas madness. I can't believe you left out the multiple snow machines that they put in the Bavarian forest. Well, because the snow machines suck now. Back in the day, they used to drop, like, soap flakes, like, throughout the Bavarian forest and village. 
But now it's just like one soap bubble machine that goes off intermittently in one specific doorway. Oh, which is frankly a letdown. Not enough Bavarian snow for this guy. Ruined the magic of Christmas for him forever. (laughs) Absolutely not. No. But uh, yeah, if you're looking to collect. Well, uh, nutcrackers are made across the world now. They are a beloved symbol of Christmas and childhood and everything can can't stand. <laughs> the real beauties are found in Germany. Not Bavaria? Plenty of them are found in Bavaria as well. And the thing that I think is most fun is that you can get some really old pieces for not as much money as I thought. Being familiar with some of the Black Forest carvings and the prices they command, I was surprised to find out that, like, a a Victorian-era German wood-carved nutcracker might run you maybe $200. And you can get lots of fine examples for even less than that if you know where to look. Hint, Germany. In general, the value tends to go up with factors such as the quality. Older pieces carved from boxwood, for example, are considered some of the most beautiful art forms to come of nutcrackerdom, and I must confess that is true. The rarity of the subject matter, basically the weirder it is than a king or soldier, the more likely people are going to pay good money for it. And of course, uh, as you might have gleaned, having a signature from a famous maker, Steinbeck, Fuchner, and Ulbricht being kind of the big three in this. Happily, those are all marked really well. For example, Steinbeck had a Merlin from a series of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table that sold for $7,000 at one auction. Hot dang. And a Nutcracker of Herr Drosselmeyer from the Nutcracker went for 4000 Bit meta for me, but hey. As for age, good luck. I know you all love hearing that so much. <laughs> The one thing that I did find is the use of boxwood generally died out around the 1890s and picked up with fruit woods and pine woods, such as soft woods like that. 1949 and 1990, the Soviet Union was in control of the Ore Mountain area, and so they were marked with Expertic or German Democratic Republic, or using the brand name Vero. That's a pretty reliable method of dating. Dr. Lori V., from her article Antique Tips and Nutcrackers, states that some of the things you can look to to help date your nutcracker collectibles include authentic designs, labels, depressions in the mouth showing signs of use, and nut residue. There's something there about dating and looking for nut residue, but I don't know that I have it in me to carry that punchline. You have it. It's in you. It's And I'm so sorry to everyone who was counting on me. You guys, y'all need to close your eyes while you're listening to this and, and do it for can make that joke in your heart it'll be a christmas miracle and he'll learn to fly (laughs) people only really stopped using these to actually crack nuts by the late 20th century yeah when they became too fucking flimsy to do the goddamn job they had made the full transition to decorative at that point oh it could be an excuse yeah don't expect any use out of this object it's decorative is it still named for its purported function yes of course we'll still sell under that label but don't use it just to look at. Ken is not angry about this at all. (laughs) As you can tell from his tone, he's normal about it. I'm normal about many things. That's why I have a podcast. (laughs) That is another way you can kind of determine if it is an older or newer model. If it seems at all plausible to have been used to open nuts, perhaps you could look for nut residue. That would suggest an older model. So if you're looking to date older models, try seeking out nut residue, specifically in the mouth. (laughs) Check out the nut residue in the mouth. I was actually really surprised to find out that there are a lot of contemporary nutcracker collectors. I think in my mind and heart, I had kind of imagined these went the same way as snow babies and hummels and such. But uh, I was wrong. Frankly, it's brave of you to be able to admit that you were wrong. 
And we're very proud of you. Thank you. I will leave you with a delightful quote from nutcrackermuseum.com by one of the founders, Ms. Wagner. And she says, she was sleeping soundly one evening when the phone rang. My European antique dealer friend greeted me with, I found a nutcracker for you. You must have it. It is a bear on a sled. Wagner responded, Reek, have you been drinking? Bears do not use sleds. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the funniest way to respond to that offer. said i found the most whimsical nutcracker and she said shut your fucking mouth that sounds stupid your whimsy is implausible good day sir (laughs) and this is the person who owns a museum dedicated in their own words to the history of the nut in human in human in human food culture wow which is a weird thing to focus on when you collect nutcrackers but i respect it so there now we all know more about nutcrackers than we ever cared to know Thank you for coming on this journey with me against your will, Ken. You're welcome. Sources for today include MrShea.com, Nutcrack, ChristKindle-Market.com, Erzgebirgepalace.com, Steinbeck-Volkskunst.com, Discover Steinbeck, TheLATimes.com, Article 205, DrLoriV.com, Antique Tips Nutcrackers, CollectorsWeekly.com, Christmas Nutcrackers, and of course, NutcrackerMuseum.com. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at Podcast at gmail.com. You can post in our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, AntiquesFreaks.tumblr.com, or you can check out our Instagram at Instagram.com slash AntiquesFreaks. If you liked hearing about where you can find nut residue, <laughs> feel free to scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review. Very raunchy. I loved it. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, the Feast of Blood. Special thanks to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right. You. Au revoir. Goodbye. <laughs>